Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. As a traveler, it's a fact you're going to need to manage your spending in different currencies. You need a service that not only helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, but also does it without the hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This is where WISE comes in. WISE is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. I've been a customer for over a decade. It's been a lifesaver for me as a traveler, a nomad, and now a permanent resident abroad. If you're a traveler who's still using your regular bank, you need to check this out. Join 16 million customers and learn how the WISE account could work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to WISE for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travels brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. What traveler doesn't love chatting about destinations, right? And today we have a destination bonanza for you, although that's only one of the courses we're serving up. I do have my friend and fellow travel podcaster, Chris, from the Amateur Traveler Podcast on the show. This guy's been to 64 UN-recognized countries and 82 countries and territories, and he's recorded over 700 podcasts with experts on different destinations from all over the world, so a lot to pick his brain on. But, you know, the destination piece of this show is just one course of this meal. Yes, we'll talk about Southern Africa and the national parks and California and some other places. But we're also going to serve up a course of travel lifestyle stuff, which I always love to learn from people that have traveled extensively. How have they done it? And what are some of those lessons we all can learn and take with us? And Chris has done a lot of his traveling with a full-time job. So I do get his advice on maximizing your travels with a traditional job. He talks a bit about career breaks and what to consider. We discuss strategies for building an itinerary that matches your personality and travel lifestyle. Why to consider climbing down the corporate ladder if you're on it instead of up it. We have a little dialogue on what you should do if you're considering going to a place you've been versus a brand new place, which is always a fun question to ask travelers. Chris shares one of his favorite hikes in the USA and why and a load more. It's all happening in this show today. Plus, I've got two mystery numbers for you and they're themed with the show. I'm going to throw these numbers out here. And I want you to guess what they are. Maybe by the end of the show, you can guess because they do relate to the interview. And I've got to shout out somebody in this community, speaking of destinations, who found a way to visit new places and also do his part to preserve those destinations. This is a really cool organization I want to share with you. And perhaps you have something similar nearby that you can take advantage of wherever you live. So let's get into it, shall we? Buckle up, strap in. Thanks for being here and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. What's up, my friend? It's Jason here with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This 
is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. A bit of a destination bonanza today, and boy, am I a sucker for chatting destinations, and what a great guy to do it with. We have Chris from the Amateur Traveler podcast on the show. Now you're going to dig this conversation. I mentioned at the top a couple of mystery numbers I want you to consider as this interview goes on. Perhaps you can deduce what these numbers are. And those numbers are 63 and 48. Keep those numbers in mind. 63 and 48. What do they mean? How do they relate to the content here? Just a fun little game we'll play with you today. I want you to stick around on the back end as well because I'll share some thoughts on the interview. And also, I want to give a shout out to somebody who highlighted a really cool organization in their neck of the woods. This is a a member of this listening community and actually a former guest. And he shares a bit about an organization near him that really has a fantastic model for preserving destinations. And I want to share a bit of that with you. And he also talks about his rules for having nearby adventures, which may be giving you something to think about. And he will also be providing the quote for the day, which he sent to me via email. So all of that happening on the back end, stick around for that. Now let's slip and slide into the interview segment and I will see you on the other side, my friend. I pretend like I'm a professional every day. I don't know about you. (laughs) Amateur is right on the label. (laughs) (laughs) That is so awesome. And what a great way to kick it off. I am on the line with my friend and one of the OGs of the travel podcasting and blogging world. He runs the amateurtraveler.com, an award-winning travel blog and podcast helping real travelers plan real trips to their own backyard or around the world. Chris Christensen, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Thank you very much. So excited to have you here. You know, I'm calling this one a destination bonanza because, I mean, <laughs> well, I, all right, first of all, how many podcast episodes have you done? Um, of Amateur Traveler or total podcast episodes? Uh, let's go with total and then get into the Amateur, uh, amateur total Traveler. Total about 2,000, somewhere in that range. Wow. What year did that start? Well, do you remember the first one? Well, sure. Amateur Traveler was the is the oldest show that I've done, the longest running, and it started July second of two thousand and five. Okay, God, you even remember the date and everything. That's awesome. Well, I could be wrong, <laughs> but that, that's like what the what the blog post is labeled. So I assume that 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 I'm getting it correctly. <laughs> do you remember the first time you sort of tried to record anything? Oh, well, the first episode is, I mean, was the first episode. There was no... That was your first crack. You just went, yeah. you went right into it. It went live. Yeah. Because I think back to just trying to, in the beginning, it just felt so, I don't know, strange in a way, you know? You, you, you have this idea, but now here you are 2,000 podcasts later, and then how many, how many in the Amateur Traveler feed? Uh, I think 787. And those are all They're destination... Awesome episodes right almost all almost all there's Pretty a few much. earlier ones that were theme ones like volunteer travel or working and traveling around the world but pretty much at this point it's just destinations 
You know, shows change over time. My show originally was going to be my travel. We were going to talk about my travel. There weren't going to be any guests. And I was podcasting 48 weeks a year and traveling four weeks a year. And if you look at that, that math does not work. <laughs> you can't do 16 and a half years uh, with that kind of ratio. So, Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I mean, this is why I wanted to focus on destinations here. We got Chris, who's done over almost 800 episodes on destinations, right? There's, you know, over 700 at least. And then looking at uh, theamateurtraveler.com, if this list is up to date, you've also been to 64 UN recognized countries and 82 countries and territories. So that's a lot of destinations, man. <laughs> Why are you so in love with travel? Because it's, it's one thing to travel to all the places, but then to, to do all of these hundreds of podcasts about destinations and to keep it going for so long. I mean, this is like some next level stuff here, Chris. So what is it about travel that hooked you? I like to learn new stuff. I, I just am a, a sponge for learning new things and nothing enables you nor forces you to learn as quickly as travel, you know, standing in front of the subway machine in Czech Republic, when you don't speak a word of Czech, uh, you know, there's, there's some problem solving involved there. So tell me about your first trip. That was kind of the thing where maybe the light bulbs went off for you with travel. Well, see, I think I learned to love travel, uh, doing travel in the U.S. with my parents as a kid. We traveled all around. We very seldom left the U.S., and if we did, it was just Canada. So, you know, I didn't travel overseas until I was out of college and married. But in terms of as a kid, we would get in the car and pull a little trailer and drive. I think our record was like 5,000 miles um, through the American West. So, you know, we would do some long trips. Uh, maybe it was 3000, maybe it gets longer as I get older, but <laughs> you know, it, we'd take two, three weeks and, and go and explore the country. And, uh, I think I learned to love travel one national park at a time, basically. Mm. That's a beautiful way to fall in love with travel. I, the national parks are some of my favorite places anywhere in the world. Oh There's yeah. I am, about- I am a huge fan of the National Parks and the National Park Service and the Rangers and and such. I think they do a wonderful job. Yeah, it's it's the whole vibe, the whole experience there. And I love that they can be so accessible for so many people. Uh, you can get into some beautiful nature areas, whether you're in a wheelchair or, you know, whatever. Like, it, it's just very accessible. And and yet, they also have, you know, loads of backcountry. So if you do want to get away from the tourists and, and things like that, you can for that style of travel when you were a kid, was it, were you guys road tripping and hotels and things like that? Were you camping? Was it a combination? Well, as I say, a lot of those, we were pulling a little tiny trailer. Uh, it was a 14 foot, I think it was a Sierra, uh, trailer. It was 14 foot. If you counted the three feet of trailer hitch, right? (laughs) So, you know, basically uh, my mom and dad and my brother and I would be in, you know, would amount into 11 feet of space. Um, and we'd pull that around and stay in campgrounds was a lot of the travel that we did. We didn't have a you know whole lot of money, so we weren't we weren't staying in fancy places or things like that. And visited a lot of relatives and things like that on other trips, and would stay with them. So, older brother or younger brother? Older brother. Okay. Were there any particular memories that stand out from those trips to you? Just uh, like specific kind of moments that sort of encapsulate the the experience for you. Well, one of the things is when the men landed on the moon, 
I was outside the US. I was in a trailer park in Victoria, British Columbia, and I got to watch it kind of from the outside, you know, and that's that's my country doing that sort of thing. And so, you know, that was a very memorable moment. I was not all that old, but I was uh, eight or something like that when that happened. So, that, you know, there's that. There was going to the Canadian Rockies or or going to um, Bryce Canyon later on when I was a teenager, you know, and pushing the car out of the snow because we were there in an early uh, or late spring snow in April. And, you know, those sort of things are just uh, very memorable. Yeah. Tell me about some of the Canadian national parks, because that is huge on my list. And I've had the privilege of going to a bunch of them in the United States, but not across Canada. It's driving me nuts. So so I there's a lot of the Canadian national parks I have not been to, but where I have been uh, mostly is the Canadian Rockies is where I've spent, you know, two, three trips, three trips, I guess, uh, you know, as a kid, as an early uh, uh what I was trying to say, employee I did a conference in Banff, uh, one of the best, best boondoggles that I've ever was able to do. And then uh, later on, taking my family back there when my kids were probably older elementary, maybe junior high or something like that. Love Banff National Park, Lake Louise, Jasper National Park. Um, gorgeous, gorgeous scenery. Some of the most beautiful scenery in the world. But then also getting up into like going up and seeing, you know, I say I love to learn things. So going to Drumheller, to the Turrell Museum of Paleontology, uh, the Royal Turrell Museum there, and seeing, you know, the, uh, what would you call it? Not not uh, Tyrannosaurus, but uh, Albertosaurus, skeletons or the Velociraptors or things like that. You know, great fun. Yeah. Are, are you the type of traveler, like in this moment right now, where you... In this moment? Yeah, in this moment, like today. Yeah, because well, this changes. That moment? <laughs> yes, this will make more sense when I ask the question. But all right, so because I sometimes have the battle of, and maybe it's because I have kids, so maybe there's the element of me wanting to show them certain things. But there's there's the struggle between, it's a struggle, I'm using air quotes here, the traveler's struggle of going back to a majestic place that you've been before that maybe you want to experience with somebody else or you just want to experience for yourself again at a different age for whatever reason versus going to a new country or going to some place you've never been. Yeah. I, I want to do both. And, um, and the former one doesn't always work <laughs> in the sense that, you know, just three years ago, for instance, I grabbed my wife and my daughter and her husband. Uh, so my kid's a little older than yours, obviously. Um, and uh, a couple friends, and we did the Southwest, uh, some of the national parks there, Bryce, Zion, the Slot Canyons in Antelope Canyon, Grand Canyon, you know, Horseshoe Bend, those sort of things. And one of my favorite hikes in the U.S. is the hike, the Wall Street Navajo Trail hike in Bryce Canyon, where you hike down into these hoodoos. You've got these spires of rock on both sides of you, and you're hiking in to this canyon that's formed, you know, in between these hoodoos that gets very narrow. And I, I love slot canyons. I think it's gorgeous. As a photographer, I think that's just one of my favorite things. My wife was like, but the best views were from the top. <laughs> she, you know, she didn't, she didn't appreciate it to the level that I would prefer. And, uh, you know, that's always true with anything, almost any place we took my kids, you know, I, as a huge history buff, they did not have my same sort of love of history. So, 
you know, the, the times when they did get into it, like when we went to Rome, when they were in fifth and sixth grade and they had been studying Rome in school, you know, and they're running around grabbing my wife and saying, mom, mom, that's the arch of Constantine. And, and, you know, here's who Constantine was and such. That was pretty special, but also unusual (laughs) experience. Usually it's, you know, dad trying to grab the kids and drag them to something historic and um, them not always appreciating it. So, yeah. Why would a school ever get, so now I just drag strangers you know, <laughs> audibly to, to visit something interesting and historic. So. Right. Yeah. Cause you do group trips with the amateur traveler, right? Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and also the podcast itself, you know, we're right. We, uh, tend to, to lean or I tend to lean towards the historic, even if not all my guests are. So I'm, I'm always wanting to fill in that information about that place and the significance of the, you know, what the history was there, whether it be civil war history or that particular city is, you know, was part of the Hanseatic league or or whatever it is. So, yeah, I mean, that's what brings it to life, right? There's so much of the culture in the modern day when you're standing in a place that's rooted in the history, you can't, it's not a separate thing, (laughs) right? (laughs) It's happened, but it's, uh, it's still very relevant. I feel today. So I, yeah, it's important to to study that, I feel, on the ground. I have a lot of destination questions, but I, I wanted to start, you know, you mentioned exploring your backyard, and I wanted to ask you about your own backyard. What are some of the places in your own backyard that give you the travel buzz? And you should tell people where you are. <laughs> yeah, so I live in California. I live in San Jose, California, in uh, Silicon Valley. I'm a Silicon Valley nerd by, by day and a travel blogger and podcaster by night. And... um and California, yeah, I get, I am told by listeners of the show that I get to be a, a real California a bigot or, or a proponent, depending on how you put it. Uh, you know, especially when we talk about wine, uh, <laughs> that's that's when people have called me out. It's like, yeah, you're right, you're right. But um, you know, we've got seven national parks in California. We've got the world's tallest, biggest, and oldest trees. Uh, we've got uh, you know Hollywood. We've got Silicon Valley. We've got not as much history as a lot of places in the world. Uh, but, you know, some interesting history for what we have, including the, you know, the Native American history, the Spanish, the the Mexican, the Russian, um, all of those sorts of things touch upon in California history. So this last couple of years, for instance, where especially before vaccines and I did not want to get on a plane, I've been focusing a lot on a California travel blog. And there's a lot of, you know, very cool places to go in my backyard. Um, could the coast, the, you know, the Rocky, not the Rockies, the Sierras, um, the wine country, the gold country, it's, it's a pretty darn cool place. And that's even before you get into the cities, which I've, you know, avoided a little more recently, but, you know, like Los Angeles or Los, or San Francisco. Yeah. Is there a favorite uh, road trip or loop kind of you have around California where you can hit there are so many. Um, I know. It's such an awesome state. <laughs> it really is incredible. Well, I mean, a, a real easy road trip that is very local to where I grew up uh, would be in Central Coast. Um, and I'm a big fan of the Central Coast, the Monterey, uh, Carmel area, for instance, a really, really gorgeous a portion of a coastline with you know some great attractions like the Monterey Aquarium, which is one of the you know, better aquariums in the world, I think. And, um, also, you know, very good 
uh, very interesting history as well as good restaurants and things like that and Cannery Row and, and places like that. So one of the road trips that I like is going down the Salinas Valley where I grew up and, you know, hitting some of the wine places there now and also doing your hiking in Pinnacles National um uh, I think they changed it. Pinnacles National Park, I want to say, National Monument, which it which it was uh, until recently, and you know, doing some of the caves there, and that you're basically around the San Andreas Fault, and then going down to uh, some of the missions, say in San Luis Obispo, or going over to Morro Bay and sea kayaking out in the bay there um, by the Great Big Rock, and then coming up by Hearst Castle, which is William Randolph Hearst, uh, you know, of yellow journalism, his Great Big Xanadu um, Palace up in the hills, and then you know seeing the the elephant seals, and then driving up uh, Highway One, and then kind of looping back around, and Highway One is you know one of those great drives. So that's a pretty that's a pretty great California trip. That's really a couple of days. You could see a lot, two three days. Sounds terrible, Chris. It's that's, a dirty, thankless job, and somebody's got to do it. Good grief! I mean, that's right in your backyard. That's I've got those pictures in my head, and I'm just oh, I want to be there right now. This is what Chris does. This is what he does in his podcast. He makes you want to be there. <laughs> you've worked uh, sort of like a traditional job pretty much while you've been doing all these, this traveling. Is, is that accurate? Most, most of the time, except for about seven, well, actually, I guess of the time I've been doing Amateur Traveler, almost half the time I've um, had part-time work. So I took a seven-month career break at one point in my career. Uh, but then I, for about sev- six years prior to the pandemic, about a year before the pandemic, I um and before that, I was doing uh, contract work. And so I was working only about a third of the time doing software at that point and putting the rest into travel. Um, but most, you know, the rest of the time I've, I've worked, um, you know, at IBM and a- Apple and TripAdvisor and uh, 20 different years in software startup companies, including right now where I'm back at work full time, which actually worked out well with the pandemic going on you know, and traveling less, but I uh, didn't know that at the time that I went back to work there. Yeah. We'll be back in a moment. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude. Go! To learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best 
off the beaten path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. With seven drive modes, the Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. And it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there. And that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself. And that's why we're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Now, back to the show. I was wondering if you could share some advice around, because you've done so much traveling, and also I, I just think it's really cool that, you know, having this passion you have for travel and history and and being able to explore the world even, you know, virtually through the podcast, and, and you know, anybody can create different projects like that for themselves where you can still learn about the world, which I think is such a beautiful way to also travel when you're home. I, I'm just wondering, you know, what your advice would be for somebody that's, you know, working full-time and really wants to maximize uh, their travel. Maybe they don't have the the crazy amount of days off or, you know, maybe they do want to take a career break, how to approach that. Just I, I know everybody's situation is different, but really just kind of your general advice and how you've been able to get so much traveling done. Well, let's do this sort of separately. Um, one is the, how do you travel with the day job? You know, not, not quit the day job and such. And obviously it depends a lot on where the day job is and how much travel you can afford and how much time you have for travel. You know, if you're a teacher and you have the summers, you know, then you've got more time. Uh, we tend to, amateur traveler tends to target a one week itinerary because I know so many Americans especially don't have as much time off. They have, you know, maybe two weeks a year or something like that. And we try and put it into more bite-sized pieces, you know, one week, two week itinerary, because, you know, I think you can do a lot of amazing travel. My, my daughter, when she was in college, did her spring break with us in Hong Kong, 12 time zones away, um, you know, and, you know, it was seven days and and we were in Hong Kong and she was probably tired when she got back, but she, she definitely wouldn't have traded that opportunity. But we had a, a friend, uh, I was going to say a spare daughter, but I'm her spare uh, uh, father. If her parents had died, we would have raised them, she and her sister. And she was studying in Hong Kong. And it's like, well, you take advantage of the opportunities you have, you know, hey, we've got a tour guide in Hong Kong. Let's, let's go to Hong Kong or our first trip to mainland Europe, um, one of my former roommates from college was doing a postdoc in Paris, you know, and his, his French was getting pretty good. And we said, well, this is the time to go, um, you know, and, and part of it is, you know, watching the sales and knowing to go shoulder season so that you don't spend as much money if you have that option or, you know, looking for opportunities for how you can travel for less money, because maybe that means you can do two trips this year instead of one trip or something like that. So you don't necessarily have to do the most expensive and luxurious thing that you can afford. Um, and partly that's because I think sometimes the luxurious experience also separates you from the culture. You know, when you go to the all-inclusive resort, you know, in Mexico, are you, are you really in Mexico? Do you learn anything about Mexico? Do you interact with people in the same way? Um, you know, versus if you, you know, go down to, instead of going to Cancun to the, the all-inclusive resort, why not go a little further down to Playa del Carmen and get a condo and stay near the beach? And, I, you know, I honestly think 
you'll spend the same or less and probably have a better experience. You know, go, you know, spend a weekend in Merida on the weekend when they're dancing in the street uh, for the fiesta and eat your $1 street tacos. And, you know, I challenge you to find a better meal, uh, you know, than those $1 street tacos. And uh, they're really not that expensive, but they're, you know, pretty darn good. So, so partially it's how you plan for it. You know, it's not the same as doing slow travel, right? It's very different from, you know, I know on your show, you talk a lot about the, you know, digital nomadism and quitting your job and things like this. And, and they're a very different style of travel. Um, you know, I like the other two, but I haven't had all, you know, always had the opportunity to do that. And, you know, trying to balance how much work is the, is the right amount of work for me has been an interesting thing. I've worked my way down the corporate ladder over the last um, eight years or so, nine years or so. Uh, when I was at TripAdvisor, I was a director of engineering uh, for the TripAdvisor Flights product. And I actually left there to become an engineer because I wanted more time to travel. I wanted to work my way into a position where I could make you know some money with, with my own uh, products and with the blog and the podcast and things like that. So that's kind of good in your second, the, the career break sort of thing. Um, is different for different people, obviously. So my career break wasn't going to be one of those, let's quit the job, sell the house and go get on the road because my wife stayed home when our kids were little and she went back to work finally for her dream job when they went away to college. And so, you know, it wasn't going to be, hey, let's let's quit your job and go. She's finally getting around to doing what she would plan to do in in college, you know, some 20 years later. And so, and you know, I like being married. I wasn't going <laughs> to, I wasn't going to blow that up for, uh, for travel. Uh, if I have to choose between the two, I'm going to choose the marriage, honestly. And uh, so for me having, you know, working my way into part-time work, especially with what I do, where you can make a decent living from software contracting, uh, you know, it's, it's feast and famine. Uh, you know, sometimes I would have no clients for, you know, four to six months. And then I remember having one period of time where I was trying to do things for three or four clients at the same time, you know, it can, it can drive you a little nutty, but on the other hand, it, especially in my position of having the outlets, having the blog and the podcast, it let me say yes when I got invited places, which is something that happens to me, but doesn't happen to most travelers. But it also, you know, would give you, if you weren't in my situation, but it would still give you the ability to say, Hey, look, that cruise that we want, or that trip that we're doing has a last minute deal you know, working your way into some sort of flexibility can, can enable you to take advantage of things like that. So, you know, our first trip to London was there was a fair sale on Pan Am and my wife went, I can't believe how cheap it is to get to, to London. And we had a, uh, she was pregnant. She was uh six months pregnant or something like that, which probably means we had a, um, a one year old or so that we had in tow with us. And, you know, there were moments on that trip that she was uh, a little exhausted when one day when every single escalator and every single elevator that we tried to get to was broken. <laughs> uh, she broke down crying under the Thames in the tunnel, walking over to the Naval Observatory and saying, I can't do this anymore. Fortunately, she didn't stop because there was, you know, <laughs> it's like <laughs> we're under the Thames. You know, this isn't a good place to give up. Uh, but we, you know, we went and we had tea. Another time, you know, I was up in the... Uh, in St. 
Paul's in, you know, tooling around and she was out feeding the baby on the steps of St. Paul's. And she's like, I'd be doing the same thing if I was at home, but I'm in London. <laughs> so, you know, you take advantage of the opportunities you have. And sometimes that means you get the work trip, you know, and you add on a few days to the work trip uh, while you're doing, you know, wherever it is that you're, you're going. Uh, my dad visited me in college because he saved the company money by going from California to Ohio via upstate New York. Uh, he was really good at the the airfares and things. And the company said, well, you know, hey, if you're going to save us money, sure, go ahead. Um, you know, and you, those, you, those opportunities are things that you can learn to look for as well. Well, I just wanted to pull out a couple of things and what you mentioned about sort of the long-term travel lifestyle versus maybe the style of travel where you have a week or two. I, I do feel like in in the grand scheme of you know, life, you might be a nomad for a period of time, but inevitably either on the front end or the back end, you're going to be probably in that situation where you can only go for, you know, a week or two and you squeeze in trips here and there when you can, depending on your life situation. I think that this is all such great advice because I was going to ask you about how you pick destinations. And and one of the big things I was just hearing is is that idea of kind of taking advantage of the opportunity, which I think is really cool. Like you said, you knew a guide in Hong Kong. It's like, all right, well, maybe the opportunity like that or a friend's going to show you around in Paris, maybe that's the thing that dictates the destination, right? I think that's just great. I, yeah, I think there's a, there's a combination even today of, you know, I don't know where I'm going this year. <laughs> um, I know that I've got a trip to take listeners to the show to Turkey, which hopefully we'll pull off this year. We, you know, we've tried for two years in a row, but uh, yeah, there's been something going on. I don't know if you heard about it. And, um, you know, I've got some conferences that I want to go to and things like that, but I think I'll do more travel than that, but I honestly don't know where I'll go. And so some of that will be last minute opportunity. Some of that will be friends saying, Hey, do you want to go here? Um, my wife and her college roommates are like, they've suddenly decided they want to see the Northern lights. So that may turn into a trip sometime and somewhere, uh, someplace <laughs> North and cold, <laughs> but I know uh, a guy, you know, a guy. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see if that turns into something. Um, so there's some of those and then there's the, then there's the list. Then there's the places where I really want to do this sometime and looking for the opportunities. You know, I want to get back to India. I want to get back to Africa, Southern Africa, especially, um, you know, those sort of places. I, you know, one of the reasons I want to get back to when I get to Turkey is I want to get my wife back to Turkey, the, which I really loved. So that, you know, get back to your question earlier. So yeah, it's a combination of, I've got a, I've got my uh, on the amateur traveler website under the about you can find a link to my uh, bucket list. So I have some places that I have been wanting to get to and have been checking some of those off as I go. A lot of UNESCO World Heritage sites, some historic sites in the U.S. and elsewhere. Uh, but it's a combination of that and and what comes when drops into my lap. Going back to the career break thing too, because when you say work your way down the corporate ladder, I just love that phrase. <laughs> and <laughs> it's definitely counterintuitive to how most people are thinking, right? Working your way up the corporate ladder and then you get burdened with more responsibilities. And um, it's not always the case. Sometimes and when I you go up, that. it can be... Yeah. yeah. I was right. an EVP of engineering and operations for a small company for 14 years and then did another year and a half as a director at uh, a trip advisor. And I enjoyed that work and I enjoyed the people I worked with. It was, in fact, the first company was hard to leave because the people I worked with were, um, you know, were like family, although it was time for me to leave probably two years <laughs> before I did because my heart wasn't in the work anymore. 
um, and the direction that I thought they should go. But money is, I, I think money is useful and handy. <laughs> it's helpful to have. Um, I remember, uh, you remember uh, Craig and Linda from the Indie Travel podcast. Uh, they're, they, uh, I don't know if they'll ever get back to podcasting it again, but they have been on a break here for the last couple of years uh, from podcasting. But uh, we've been friends for a while. And the first time we met up in person, we met up in London because we just happened to be in the same continent, <laughs> in the same country at the same time. And it was funny because they were doing full-time travel and I was doing, you know, working and trying to fit in travel and, you know, working. And probably at that point I had four weeks vacation or whatever that I was definitely using every hour of. And it was funny because we sat there and they're like, ah, I wish we could be like you and have more money to travel. And I was like, I wish I could be like you and, and have more time to travel. <laughs> so, so for me, somewhere in between is a good, is a good match. Uh, cause I like home. I like being here too. So, you know, traveling a third of the year or something like that is a good, is a good match for what I like. But you have to know that you have to kind of figure out what you want to do for now. It doesn't have to be the answer for everything for for all time. As you say, I you know, how many people do we know who were on the road for ten years as nomads and then said, no, that's it. That's that's my nomad time. Yeah. So it's interesting too because sometimes, certainly not the case with everybody, but you know, you get to a certain position in a company and it, it may be a tough pill to swallow from say an identity perspective to say, okay, you know, I'm this head honcho or I'm in charge of all these things. And now I'm intentionally going to my boss and saying, please demote me. It's that's sometimes a little easier to leave and go somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think really it speaks to your passion for travel and, prioritizing the lifestyle, I think, which is something we always encourage people to do, especially on this show, right? It's, you know, you get this one life and and all of the cliches, but it's true. You know, when you take those, those cliches to heart, it's like, wow, okay, yeah, I really don't have forever to do the things I want to do. Right. And time's well, only see, running out. And I also like, you know, I think everyone should find something that they like to do that they can use to keep the, you know, the lights on and the and the bills paid and the kids fed, you know, no matter how much time you need to do it, whether you're doing it on the road or whether you're doing it at home, you spend a lot of your time doing those sorts of things. It ought to be something, you know, that you don't enjoy every day necessarily, but that is fulfilling and interesting and you work with great people. And, uh, you know, that's what I'm doing right now. I'm, I'm back to work full time and I'm enjoying it. Um, you know, it's obviously limits what I can do in terms of travel, but there's, you know, something else limiting what I can do for travel right now anyway. So it's not, not a bad time to be working full time and, you know, from home. For sure. Um, how do you build an itinerary that matches your personality and travel style? Well, part of it is negotiation, right? Because if I'm traveling by myself, uh, then it's a different answer than if I'm traveling with my wife. Um, who, you know, doesn't need to take a hundred pictures of that cathedral. <laughs> it doesn't like, really with the pictures again, is it 98? necessarily or understand why you might want to. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, so if I'm solo traveling, I travel at about twice the speed, uh, because I don't spend as much time eating fancy meals or things like that. I'll grab something on the run. I'll grab a pork bun from the Seven Eleven in Japan or something like that quick or street food from, you know, wherever I am. And I want to see, 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 go, go, go. Um, and don't necessarily interact with as many people, although you'll meet more people when you're traveling solo. 
Um, when I'm traveling with my wife, I need to know that that is not her pace and I slow down. When I'm traveling with my family, I'll slow down. And since I do a combination of the two, usually when I'm traveling with them, it will be, we'll, we'll do what you want to do. You know, I'll, I'll get back here again. I'll get other opportunities. So, you know, what do you want out of this trip? Um, but we usually start with a piece of paper. We write out the, you know, draw a calendar, write out the, you know, boxes for the number of days and then say, where do we want to go? We do have that um, two night minimum rule that we developed after that trip, the infamous trip to Spain, uh, <laughs> the, you know, uh, Monday and Monday and Madrid and Tuesday and Toledo and Wednesday and Sevilla and Thursday and Granada and Friday and Cordova and Saturday in Barcelona uh, was a bad idea, as it turns oh. out. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like this one's still being talked about in the household. <laughs> oh, we still we still talk about it on the podcast <laughs> occasionally too. Yeah, <laughs> um, and, and you know the fact that we also went in the heat of summer. When I was saying, well, why don't we go in the spring when it won't be so beastly hot either? And uh, but we wanted a little more time, and so my wife wanted to go in the in the summer. So we went in the summer, and especially she and my sun just melted <laughs> in the heat. Um, so, you know, I was often driving a car full of sleeping people. And <laughs> so it, it had, to, had its challenges. It has challenges. So uh, slowing down can be a real advantage. But on the other hand, we did another trip. There was a road trip in the U.S. where, you know, Monday was Little Rock and Tuesday was, oh, sorry, Monday was Kansas City. Tuesday was Little Rock. Wednesday was Memphis. You know, Thursday was Nashville. Um, Friday was Louisville and Saturday was Cincinnati because we were trying to get from a Giants game in Kansas City and a week later to a wedding in Cincinnati. And we had the best trip ever. You know, one day we went to Andrew Jackson's home and to the Corvette factory and to Mammoth Caves um, all in the same day plus, you know, four hours of driving. <laughs> um, it was It was awesome. You know, and ate a lot of barbecue and and watched some watched some baseball, and uh, it was pretty pretty darn good trip. So it it depends a lot on how challenging the place will be too. You know, we were willing to relax that rule at times, uh, but it is kind of useful to know your pace, to learn what your pace is and what is too much, uh, because it's really easy to add too much to your trip and come back exhausted. And I personally like that, (laughs) but not everybody does. Right. Yeah. And that's where it comes down to the style, I guess. Right. Do do you try to build some flexibility into your itineraries? And if so, how do you do that? Or is it pretty locked kind of booking, booking ahead and just. It depends. Um, We, because we start with the, you know, we've done both. We've done the trip to Europe where literally the first night is the only night we have booked. And, you know, we stayed in some really great places. (laughs) And then we also stayed above a beer hall on Pinksterfest uh, with a lot of drunken Germans up till 3 a.m. singing while we were trying to get some sleep because we were driving to go catch a flight the next morning. So, you know, it it depends. (laughs) Sometimes we have more flexibility than others. And sometimes, for instance, we did an overland trip with uh, listeners of the show in um, southern Africa. And my wife said, I'm not going to do this long overland trip where we're pitching our own tent and we're, you know, moving every day and then, you know, get to Victoria Falls and get on a plane the next day. I need to be someplace 
where I have some, you know, two days of downtime to, to sort of recover. And, you know, first she said in, you know, two days of downtime where we're doing nothing. Well, it turns out that nothing worked fine with a luxury resort on the banks of the Zambezi and going out at early in the morning and late at night to go see elephants and things like that. That was, that was a definite, that fit within her definition of doing nothing, but, you know, just knew that she needed some downtime after that. This was going to be stressful. She's not a big camper. <laughs> you know, she was definitely at the beginning of the trip saying, I'm the, the only, this is the only time you're going to get me to Southern Africa. Um, you know, you're this is the only so far I'm going to do. Now, by the end of the trip, she was saying, you know, next time when we go back, uh, <laughs> the guys were talking about Namibia. And that sounds pretty interesting. But uh, so I think, you know, partly it's it's that mix. So like my son didn't care if he ever saw, by the time he got to high school, he didn't care if he ever saw a cathedral in Europe again. Um, and had a period of time where he said he wasn't traveling with, he wasn't traveling with us, you know, don't, don't bother inviting me unless there's a beach, and, <laughs> you know? So we did a, we did a trip in the Yucatan where there was, you know, some running around and seeing Merida and going, seeing the Mayan sites and then, you know, ended up at Playa del Carmen for like three nights for some just beach time. And that worked out well. That was a good mix for everybody, you know, some, some combination of exploring and some combination of relaxing. How many kids do you have? Two kids. Two kids. In their 30s now. Okay, yeah. But it must have been fulfilling to, you know, have the memories that you had growing up as a child to travel with your with your folks and now be able to, you've been able to do that with your kids. It must be a great feeling. Yeah, we, we were able to afford a little more international travel <laughs> than, than, you know, we ever had. Although kids have also done some domestic travel as well. But, uh, but yeah, we, we would go on trips. Like we went on a trip for my 40th birthday. We did a Windjammer barefoot cruise in the Caribbean and Windjammer is not in business anymore, unfortunately, but it was a lower cost, um, sailing ship option. And, um, you know, on a, the largest ship they had in their fleet was the legacy and it was 104 passengers and, you know, it was bunks. It was, it was not at all luxury, but it was, fun, you know, dressing up for dinner meant putting it on a t-shirt. You didn't need shoes. Um, <laughs> so we did that and we were surprised the number of people on the ship who didn't bring their kids. They're like, oh yeah, yeah, no, they're home. You know, and we're like, but, but this is cool. You know, our kids were loving it. Um, why would you travel without them? Cause you only get so much time with them. And, uh, we love spending time with our kids to this date. You know, they get more and more fun and then they move away. <laughs> so, <laughs> and uh, something about that uh, doesn't quite work out right. But, you know, we tried to do as much travel with them as we could when they were willing to go with us and, or when they had no choice. So, and, and did some amazing trips, you know, and did at least one exhausting trip to Spain. But <laughs> <laughs> how old were they on the cruise? Do you remember? On the cruise uh, would have been 21 years ago, roughly. So okay. they would have been, you know, around 10 or so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm just curious because I'm, I see a lot of these types of opportunities. You mentioned opportunities earlier coming in my near future. So right, right. trying to, trying to pick your brain. Yeah, we a started, <laughs> we, we took a break from international travel between our like first trip to continental Europe, you know, and then next year we had, we had babies uh, for, you know, a while. Uh, Cause we, my kids are 17 months apart. And then we really didn't get back to a lot of international travel until they were probably upper elementary school age, you know, 
third, fourth grade, right around then. We wanted them to remember it. Um, and that was a good choice for us, I think. Um, other people do, you know, choose something different and that's fine. Um, we did a lot of family trips in between or, or, you know, domestic trips and things like that. You know, I think there was the trip that's like, I, you can go visit your mother, <laughs> but I don't want to keep using all of my vacation time sitting in rural Virginia. <laughs> so, uh, right. Yeah. What else can we do? What destinations do you see as up and coming? We'll use that term. Up and coming destinations. Albania is starting to get a little more um, noticed than it certainly was 10, 15 years ago. You know, Croatia, obviously, what, 15 years ago or so started getting on people's radar. I think some of the other areas, some of the other places in in Europe around there, like Slovenia is easy and gorgeous and wonderful, you know, don't get noticed as much by, especially by Americans, which is a lot of my audience. Um, other places around the the Balkans uh, area. I think even in a lot of countries, we you know we hit we say we've gone to France, we've really just been to Paris, right? We say we've gone to England, and we've really just been to London. Um, there are so many regions that are fascinating in the countries that we go to. You know, okay, you've been to Berlin. Have you been down to um, Erfurt or have you been to Dresden or, you know, there's a number of places like that. You've been to Paris. That's great. Have you been up to Normandy? You know, have you been down to uh, the Cote d'Azur? You know, have you, you've been to Rome? That's great. You know, and you've been to the, the Cinque Terre. You know, have you been to Puglia? So I think that there's as people, especially as people go back and, you know, our generation, my parents' generation, you retired and then you took, a, you know, trips for a few years. I think they traveled for about four years. I think my mom had a special pension that she got for about four years and they traveled internationally in those four years and then that was it. And my generation has started traveling a little earlier. And of course, you know, the next generation down, my kids' generation started traveling, you know, a whole generation earlier than I did internationally. And when you go back to someplace, I think then you're, you're looking for someplace else in that area. Um, I would like to see Southern Africa, you know, get more tourism, especially when things get back, because I think it's such a fascinating place. Um, just love the, the wildlife, love the people in, in Africa. Um, gosh, what else? Uh, <laughs> Well, that's the second time you've brought up Southern Africa. Yeah, what is the connection there for you? Can, can you speak to some specific places? I was, I was talking to somebody recently, and I realized I, I've only been to Southern Africa like three times, I think, and yet it it feels much more. Um, I, I feel closer to it than that. Uh, you know, when you're when you're in a land cruiser chasing after a pack of wild dogs, I mean that is a, a pretty amazing experience that you're not going to get that many places. <laughs> um, and if they're African wild dogs, there's pretty, only, pretty much only one place you're going to get that, right? <laughs> so um, that's a pretty, you know, interesting thing. Or even just going to, you know, Cape Town, I think is one of the most beautiful cities in the world. Um, and then if you like, you know, like a glass of wine, just, you know, a little bit off into the di distance there, and you've got a really wonderful wine uh, region as well. That's, you know, easy 
couple hours drive from from Cape Town. Uh, so you know, interesting parts of the world. But especially especially the wildlife, I think, is is something that's fascinating in southern and eastern Africa. Why is it that some you feel more connected to some places? We we just uh, had dinner with the friends we've known for years in um, just recently, and we went with them to Kauai uh, years ago. Kids were little, and the one of the friends she had grown up in uh, Madagascar. And it's the only time I've ever been with somebody who got homesick for a place that she had never been. I mean, she she was at Kauai and it reminded her so much of Madagascar that she that it just felt like home. And I think there are those places that we connect with on a different level. There's there's something about the people, or there's something you know. I first time I went to uh, Tanzania. Um, you know, I came back and I said, "You you go to Tanzania for the people, and you you go to Tanzania for the animals, and you come back for the people." Um, because they made such an impact on me because I was on a, a volunteer trip. So we did some safari, but we also did, you know, some time with a, a church that was caring for orphans of AIDS and, you know, went to the girls' school there The that was uh, training some of the next generation of young women in, in Tanzania. And, and it's it's fascinating, you know, spending time and meeting the people. You know, in some places there's less of a language barrier, so that's going to be more open to you. Um, some places there's more connection in terms of what they're trying to accomplish or what, you know, what you love and what they love. So you'll have places that you'll connect more than others. Um, and it's hard to say why. Yeah. Yeah. We can try to sort of verbalize it, but it's not always possible, right? Sometimes it's the energy or I don't know. I I think of, uh, we did, so we did a, one of our road trips in Europe and we went to um, kind of in su- succession from each other. We were in Zurich and then later on we were in Nice as part of this road trip in many other places al- along the way. And I loved Nice. We stayed in an apartment. I could walk down the street in the morning and get my, uh, this was still when it was the franc was the currency and I would go down and I'd get uh, sans, sans, which was uh, five croissants for, uh, for five francs. You know, and you felt like you're part of the neighborhood. And it, Nice is a little bit of a gritty city. It's not really that that clean, but it's interesting and it's lively. And it's, you know, it's, I thought it was just great. Just loved the vibe there. And my wife was the opposite. We were in Zurich. And we were in Zurich for Zurifascht. Do you know Zurifascht? Mm-hmm. I've only seen it advertised in English once outside of Amateur Traveler, which was an MTV guidebook we got from my daughter after she graduated <laughs> high school. It was like, you know, where, where to go for young people. And it's a festival they do every three years. The next one is in uh, 2023. Huge festival, you know, hundreds of thousands of people descending on Zurich. And there's uh, fireworks every night. There's, you know, skydivers. There's uh, t- 50 beer tents, 50 stages. Uh, you got Elvis impersonators over here. You got a, uh, trying to think ABBA cover band there. And, you know, it's just, it's an amazing energy, uh, you know, party like the Swiss. Uh, and then, you know, by the evening of, you know, it goes from like 10 AM in the morning till I think it goes to 5 AM at night. And by, you know, by 5 AM, Zurich is pretty trashed. You know, there's, there's trash everywhere. There's, you know, it's, it looks uh, pretty bad. And by 10 a.m. in the next morning, 
Zurich looks better than most cities on their best day. You know, all the trash is picked up. Everything's ready to go. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's Switzerland, it's right? <laughs> right? And my wife was like, these are my people. <laughs> my <laughs> wife who's a project manager was like, there's the only time I think we started looking for, for apartments. She's like, you know, I, I love the trains run on time. These people not, I get stuff done. Uh, those were her people. So same trip, different experience. Uh, I was drawn to niche. She was drawn to, to Zurich. Oh, that's, that's funny. <laughs> we'll be right back. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day? I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press, but I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago and immediately I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour-over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years, I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks so they also make an exceptional gift, thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever Zero to Travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me. Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Now let's get back to the show. Well, since you mentioned festivals, that that's something we can talk about in terms of destinations. What are some of the festivals around the world that you've heard from either guests or have you experienced yourself that you think are worth putting on some bucket lists out there. Mm, that's tough. Um, I, I would recommend Zurifash <laughs> if you're, if you're like in Zurich blast. in uh, 2023. and, <laughs> you and eat off the party. street the next day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, we, we, yeah, we actually stayed downtown right in the midst of it, which was crazy. Um, I don't know. Um, I would like to get up to the uh, to Edinburgh to the fringe festival sometime uh well you know i'd like to get to the running of the bulls sometime but i don't want to run with the bulls <laughs> i just want to see it <laughs> you know uh I, I don't know about the uh Sonkran or uh you know holy or some of those other festivals where people are throwing uh water or throwing you know paint they they might be interesting to film uh for instance as a photographer as long as you can keep your camera clean <laughs> but uh I'm not sure what else, what other festivals. I don't know if there's a lot of festivals on my on my to do list mm. right now. How about food destinations? Your three Calgary Stampede too. I'm going to get to the Calgary Stampede okay. sometime. All right. I, I grew up in a place that had the California Rodeo. Can't drag my wife down there, but uh, you know, I'd like to get to the Calgary Stampede. 
food destinations. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is totally subjective, of course. Sure. But yeah. let's hear a few of yours. Uh, so, you know, obviously it depends what you like. I tell people with Amateur Traveler, you know, don't pitch me the food first. You know, pitch me. There's got to be something else that, you know, that you think is interesting about the place. But we'll talk about the food, but don't pitch me that. But I have, for instance, a New Orleans exemption to that. <laughs> you know, there, there are some places that, no, okay, it's New Orleans. You can pitch the food because that is a place I would go for the food. Um, I loved South Carolina. I loved uh, Charleston for the food. I love the Portland um, food truck scene. Um, you know, hey, the $1 street tacos in Merida, Mexico, uh, or the – the moles, you know, seven different moles, or I guess I had six different moles. They do at least seven in Oaxaca, Mexico is, you know, pretty hard to beat. Although the, the crickets, not so much of a fan. Um, India love the food. Um, at times it gets too hot, even for me, even though I like spicy, um, Albuquerque, um, you know, love the, love the Southwest food. You got to love a little spicy there, but, uh, Those green chilies. The, well, the green or the red, you order red, green, or Christmas when you order yeah. your food in, in, because oh, yeah, you know, pretty much everything yes. comes with chilies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. M- Mexican food, Italian food, French food, you know, less so British food, <laughs> but that has gotten better, you know, less so Irish food, but that is, was more interesting than I thought it was going to be, you know, first time we were in Ireland. Um, Spanish food is not my favorite. Um, because I'm not a big seafood fan and they eat more seafood than any other place in Europe. Thai loved Thailand, you know, love just doing this, even the street food just on this side of the road in Thailand or uh, Cambodia uh, was pretty, uh, pretty awesome. Is anybody else out there China. stomach growling right now? <laughs> <laughs> it's happening. Oh, all right. Favorite travel resources out there. What do you like? Uh, besides the amateur traveler, I assume we're talking about. Yes, uh, of course. We're going we're, we're, we're to circle it back to the amateur traveler, yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't know if there's a particular blog or other resource that I go to. You know, we certainly have a lot of other bloggers and podcasters on the show who are experts in particular destinations. Um, you know, if I was going to Costa Rica, for instance, I'm going to mytanfeet.com because, you know, nobody knows the area better than those guys. Um in terms of other resources, you know, when I'm booking stuff, I'm I'm often on the kayak uh, flight uh, engine or some other meta search engine, the TripAdvisor meta search, you know, flight engine, which I worked on for a while, or something like that. That's going to search, you know, a bunch of different places all at once is a really good resource for looking at. Um, and similarly, there are similar, you know, ser- meta search engines for hotels, for instance, that are going to search both Expedia and also hotels.com and also, you know, all of those sort of things and, and put together some results like hotels combined and things like that. So those are good resources for planning. Um, you know, for hotel reviews, I, I still love TripAdvisor for where to go in a city. I do not love TripAdvisor. Uh, you know, as somebody who, uh, who worked there, that's just not what they're good at. Everything is, um, nothing is rated against each other. It's just when I went on that Segway tour, did I have a good time? So, you know, if you look at San Francisco, usually the number one thing to do that TripAdvisor will tell you will be the Segway tour. It's like, yeah, no, <laughs> do Alcatraz, you know, uh, but I'm sure it's a good Segway tour for a Segway tour. So that's not a good resource for, even though they're usually winning the 
the SEO for, you know, what should I do there? Not a good resource for that. <laughs> the segue. But they're really good at SEO. You know, I love they're, those guys. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I worked there for three years as a contractor also. So I worked at four and a half years in TripAdvisor. But, you know, they're really good at some things and not as good at others. So Any any strange sites? I don't know if strange is the right word, but any any sort of... Well, strange site would be Atlas Obscura would be your strange yes. site. Yes, for sure. That well, that's great for for resources. But I, I guess I'm I'm referring more to places that you've seen or that you've heard about through your show. Ah, sites. Now we're not. Yes. We're we're back at places. Yeah, sorry. I I zipped back to places for one last because uh, I saw I had one more destination. So, thing so I think I the answer to... would be yes, but it kind of depends on which which axis you're you're putting on. You know, uh, your definition of strange. Um, I think of, you know, anything that has the word ossuary in it, um, where they're making things out of bones, including, you know, right outside of, uh, of Prague, uh, I'm drawing a blank, but the city just, just west of Prague where, you know, you've taken all the bones from people who've died and you've put them into art. Um, you know, that definitely makes my, my definition of strange. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's my favorite, but, um, strange sites. Uh, yeah, you'd have to probably def- oddities. I don't know. I think of like the Corn Palace in Mitchell, South Dakota. It's just like <laughs> weird. These roadside attractions are always fascinating to me. <laughs> the roadside attractions are pretty, pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to think, Wall Drug was uh, maybe a little disappointing, uh, actually, from that point of view. Oh, but you know, speaking of actually that area, when you're in North Dakota, uh, the Enchanted Highway. Um, so some guy wanted to bring tourism to his little, and I want to say podunk town. I mean, I've been to the town. There's really nothing there. Uh, but he wanted to bring tourism off of the interstate. And so he had this project with the locals where they did these colossal metal statues, um, every five miles from the interstate going down to this town. And the statues themselves are awesome. Uh, you know, here's, here's giant pheasants and here's, you know, deer leaping over the, you know, that are 50 feet tall and things like that. Or, or, you know, here's a family made out of, uh, horse troughs. (laughs) It's, it's fascinating. The enchanted highway, um, you know, when you get to the town, you understand why it didn't have any tourism, but, but it's a, it's a fun little drive. So it's worth it to see the horse trough family. And and while you're there, (laughs) go, go up to the, uh, Oh, what's the name of the what's the name of the place? There's a um a musical in that area. Um and I'm drawing a complete blank here. It starts with an M. And this tiny town that has only I think 200 people draws thousands of people a night. That a Medora musical um to in the summertime to this musical they put on with, you know, people coming from all over the world to help work it. And it was a lot of fun. And, you know, it's one of those things that the tourism board wants you to go there and you're thinking, yeah, really, really, (laughs) you know, is that going to be any fun? It was a blast. Really? Interesting. The greatest show in the West. Very cool. Well, I mean, we covered a lot of turf, I'd say. I want to finish up with uh, your number one travel tip. My number one travel tip. Go with the right people. <laughs> Who you travel with is more important than anything. My my dad did a trip that he still talks about. Uh, he's 95 now um, through Montana. 
when he was in college to get up to a conference in Banff, Alberta. And the people he was with, you know, they went to Glacier National Park. They pulled off of the first turnoff, the first viewport, you know, or a view site on um, the going to the Sun Highway in Glacier National Park. Amazing highway, gorgeous views. And they said, oh, the nice view. Oh, we should probably go get a campsite. And so then they, you know, pulled, turned around and went back and got a campsite. And in the morning, he's like, well, let's go back in the park. And they're like, well, we saw it. <laughs> you know, no, you did not. And I think he finally decided, why don't I bring all your stuff? You guys get in the other car. <laughs> you go yourself and I will travel there by myself. And sometimes you may be the, the best travel companion is solo. But, you know, they were not the best people to go see that place with. He enjoyed it much more when he went back there with uh, my mom and my brother and I. Um, because he did, he got to see more than just the first view. So choose your travel companions wisely or marry your travel companions wisely is the other, <laughs> <laughs> the other corollary of that. <laughs> Amen to that. Great tip and great way to end it. Of course, amateurtraveler.com will link to in the show notes. If you're so inclined and you want to hear my episode over there on Oslo, we did one together we where I share indeed. some of my favorite spots around and, uh, Always appreciate you, man. Is there any uh, anything else you want to share in terms of links, projects, things like that? Yeah, or amateur travel is the best place to go. Yeah. Okay. Well, I I really appreciate your time. It's been a blast, and you know, come see the Northern Lights. You know, I am in Norway over here, so <laughs> I've heard that. I'm putting in I'm that. putting in my vote for for you guys to come here. No, I uh, I really appreciate your time, and thanks for thanks for hopping on and and making time to do the show. Thanks for having me. it chris christensen want to thank him so much for stopping by and sharing his time with us and be sure to check out his show amateur traveler is the name of the podcast look i have to agree with chris that the slot canyon hikes out in the western u.s spectacular absolutely spectacular and i hope today's episode gave you some things to think about in terms of destinations. And of course, we covered a lot in the travel lifestyle realm as well, which I always like to do. So thank you so much for listening. The mystery numbers. Did you solve the riddle? 63 and 48 were the mystery numbers that I gave you going into the interview. That's right. You got it. Or I'll pretend you got it. I don't know if you got it or not. But those numbers represent the number of national parks in Canada and the U.S. So the USA has 63 national parks, according to Google, and Canada has 48 national parks. So there you go. If you add those up, it comes out to 111, which is kind of a cool number too, 111. So if you're a numerologist, that's a thing, right? A numerologist you can tell me what those numbers mean. I actually looked it up. I couldn't find anything. But if you do add another one to that, one, 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 four ones, apparently that's the angel number. And I read on a website somewhere that it suggests your aspirations and your prayers will be answered and, and achieved. So I, I don't know. <laughs> but I do know if you go to all the national parks in the US and Canada, you'll go to 111 national parks. There you have it, the mystery number game. Hope you enjoyed that. If you want more of that or you just have some comments on this show, guest suggestions, you want to say hi, uh, whatever, drop me a message. Jason at zerototravel.com is my email and in every set of show notes, you have a link to a voicemail box where you can click on it, hit a button, 
and take 90 seconds or less to leave a message. You don't have to put an email in or anything. I listen to all the messages that come through the voicemail and I'll even send you a personal message back. So if you have any questions or anything like that, please get in touch. I do want to give a shout out before we let you go and a quote. Now, this was for a former guest. We did a show a while back called The Joys of Solo Travel with Manjinder Kang, which is actually uh, a very popular show in the catalog. I think uh, there are a lot of solo travel fans here in this uh, podcast community, so I'm not surprised. But Manny sent me an update recently on what he was up to. It was really nice to hear from him. And he said, in August 2021, this is, I'm reading his email now, I treated myself to membership with the National Trust. He lives in the UK. Uh, It's the first time I've ever bought it. The National Trust is a conservation charity in the UK. They maintain nearly 600 sites of natural, cultural, and historic importance across the country, along with their affiliate organization, the National Trust of Scotland. Annual membership is 72 pounds when I bought it. Grants members free access to the vast majority of these sites as many times as they want within their membership period. It's perfect for just about anyone, families, friends, solo adventures, couples, young and old. I've therefore been using it to power my micro-adventures, He says the rules are simple for micro adventures anywhere within a 90 minute drive of my home. I usually pack breakfast and or lunch depending on how long I'm going to be out for and off I go exploring. These places really can transport you in both place and time if you let your imagination run with your feet. Things also change with the seasons too so you can make completely new discoveries several times over the course of the year at the same location. I manage about one a month and have discovered some truly magnificent places and enjoyed some incredible natural environments. He goes on to say it's a fantastic model for supporting the protection of nature and heritage that more countries should look to adopt. I've also saved so much money against individual admission fees. And he concluded like a whole table of how much money he saved. Anyway, really cool. I love that there are organizations like that, the National Trust, where they are out there preserving um, sites. So, uh, uh, you know, to second that, we talked about national parks today. I still don't think there's a better deal in travel than an annual National Parks Pass in the States. It is so affordable for what you get because you get unlimited visits to national parks with the annual pass. And you're also supporting the parks. So if you have any organizations like this around where you live that maybe gives you a structure for your travels, some new things to explore, and it also gives you a chance to give back to an organization or a, or a entity that is doing its job to support these destinations and keep them alive and keep their authenticity in place. I think that's a, never a bad thing to support those types of organizations. So thanks, Manny, for sharing that. And he also sent me a quote from the National Trust founder, Octavia Hill, and I'll leave you with that today, my friend. She said, We all want quiet. We all want beauty. We all need space. Unless we have it, we cannot reach that sense of quiet in which whispers of better things come to us gently. I hope whispers of great things come to you today. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. Peace and love. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality. 